It's kind of a typical thing around here for the band to really be irritated when I thank them for leading us in worship because they don't want people to focus on them. They want them to focus on Christ. And I agree, we should. But I thank you for that this morning, guys. I, I guess I needed those songs. I needed to hear them. I needed to hear the truth that they contain, and I, I appreciate it. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. I get up at 6 o'clock, and I thought, that is an inch of snow. Shame on anybody that's not here. And then at 8.30, when I cleaned my car off, I said, that's three and a half inches of snow. There's going to be 10 of us here. So you have uh, blessed my heart by being here this morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, I don't know if you've ever necessarily analyzed this before, but uh, there are two main factors that determine how a story gets told. Factor number one is the storyteller, and factor number two is the audience that he's telling the story to. Let me give you a little bit of an example. Um, most of you probably know that I like guns, okay? Now, some people freak out when I say that because I'm a pastor and I, I don't know whatever other strange thoughts that people have about these things, but I like guns. I, I buy and sell and trade them, like not on the black market or to other countries, but just for my own personal enjoyment. I like to shoot them. I like to collect them. I like to look at them. Uh, and so on and so forth. So let, my example is this. If I were to buy a new rifle and I were to tell my dad about it, who also enjoys guns and shooting and hunting and all those kinds of things, it might go something like this. I might call him on the phone and say, hey, dad, I just got a new rifle. Oh, yeah, what'd you get? I got a Henry Model X. No kidding. I have no idea what that is. Uh, it's, you know, like your old Winchester Model 94s, the lever actions. It looks just like that. Oh, cool. I love old Winchesters. Yeah, except it's kind of a modern version. It has a synthetic stock, and it has a little pick rail out to the front so you could put a light on it, and it has uh, some M-lock on the sides, too, if you want to put a laser and stuff like that. Oh, okay, well, that's a little different than I'm used to. Yeah, I know, but I think you'd really like it, you know, because lever action, it's got a side-loading gate, but it also has the tube as well. How much does it hold? Well, it's 7 plus 1. Oh, you never even told me what caliber it is. It's 44 mag, which is so sweet because that's the same caliber as my Super Blackhawk and my Alaskan, so I can, like, carry a pistol and a rifle, and they're both the same caliber. You know, like the Old West guys always had 45 long cold, and they could do both. Oh, that's really cool. What's it got for sights? Well, it's got semi-buckhorn sights, but they're not like your Winchester. Again, they're kind of updated. They have fiber optic. Oh, wow, you're not going to put a scope on it? Well, the receiver is drilled and tapped. I think I'm going to put a pick rail on it because I've got an extra Hollow Sun 507K that I would like to put on it just because I think that would be cool. It would sound something like that. But... If we took the exact same scenario and Melody was talking about it <laughs> to Joellen, it would sound something like this. Hey, Melody, how's it going? 
Hey, Juwan, really good. What's going on? How's Mike doing? Uh, good. He just got a new gun. Oh, you want to go to Luchador and get some lunch? Sure. Storyteller and the audience determine how a story is told, right? Well, this morning, we're going to start looking at the Gospel of Mark, second book of the New Testament. And the reason why I say all of that, by way of example, is because Mark is a very unique book. And the reason why Mark is so unique are twofold. Mark is unique, and his audience was unique, and it affects the way he tells the story. So who was Mark? Well, first of all, I could tell you who Mark was not. Mark was not a disciple. In fact, it is entirely likely that Mark never met Jesus. It is very possible that Mark never even heard Jesus teach Mark was a cousin to Barnabas. If you've ever read the book of Acts and you've heard us talk about or teach about Paul and Barnabas, they would work together and they traveled around and planted churches and shared the gospel. And Mark was Barnabas' cousin. And when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, Mark went with them as kind of their mentee, their assistant He was coming along and learning and growing, but something happened partway in the journey, and Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas. He left. He had kind of a little meltdown. Later, he redeemed himself, and we learn from the book of 1 Peter that he was mentored by Peter. Peter took him under his wing. Perhaps Peter looked at Mark and saw his own impetuousness. If you remember anything that we've talked about regarding Peter from the New Testament, Peter said and did a lot of things offhand, off the cuff, without thinking, and got himself in a lot of trouble, and maybe he saw himself in Mark. The book of Mark, what Mark wrote, is very likely recollections that Peter had of his days following Jesus. Since Mark was not there, it is very likely that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write some of the things that Peter recalled from his time with Jesus. Now, who did he write it to? Mark wrote this gospel to Gentile believers who were in the city of Rome so that they would have a recounting of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, That's why as we go through this, or if you've ever read the book of Mark before, you'll see there's some things that aren't there. There's no genealogy of Jesus. Last week we looked at Matthew 1, and Matthew spent 18 verses talking about Jesus' genealogy, but that's not here in the book of Mark. There's no record of Jesus' birth. They didn't know the prophecies. Remember last week from Matthew 1, we had the quotation from Isaiah 7, 14, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. These Gentile believers didn't know any of the old prophecies because they weren't familiar with the Old Testament. There are very few Old Testament quotations, very few references to the Old Testament at all. And there are some little side explanations 
of Jewish customs. There are passages like in Mark chapter 7 where Mark says, and the Pharisees were doing, going about their cleansings and then their little asides because they cleansed themselves on the first day of the month. Just little things like that that give us hints of who he was writing to. Now, because there are a lot of things that aren't here, as far as those things are concerned, and Mark's style that we're going to see, we have a very short book. It's only 16 chapters. It's by far the shortest gospel. And Mark gets straight to the point. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, he says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel simply means good news. And so Mark is saying here, I'm going to show you who Jesus is. I'm going to show you the good news of who he is. In fact, over in chapter 8, he records a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus says, some of you may be familiar with this. You may recognize it when I quote it. Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the chosen one. Now, do you remember from last week, those of you who are here, some of Jesus' names? Remember the angel said, you will call his name Jesus? And we saw that the name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And he said he will have another title, Emmanuel which means God with us. And we talked for four weeks about the, this child who was born. And now as we transition into the book of Mark, we are all faced with the most important question of our lives, and it is this. Who do you say that Jesus is? You have to decide Everyone, whether they want to or not, has to answer the question. And how we answer the question determines how we live the rest of our lives. So let's take a few minutes. We're going to scroll down through this first chapter. And we're going to consider seven scenes from the early days of Jesus' ministry here on earth. So if you have your Bible, Mark 1, we're going to start in verse 9. And first of all, we're going to see the baptism of Jesus. Now, we're going to, going to go through this very quickly here as Mark goes through it quickly. Look at verse 9. It says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I don't know if anybody's noticing, I know we're kind of jumping into this, but Mark jumps into this. There's no details, there's no scene setting, there's no context, just the event. Boom. Jesus got baptized. That's really what Mark is saying. Now we could ask ourselves a question here, did Jesus need to be baptized? wasn't rhetorical. Anybody have any thoughts? Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, of course he did not need to be baptized. However, he was demonstrating to those who are watching that he was who John had been introducing. You see, we know from 
the book of John that John the Baptist had been going around saying, make way, prepare yourself because Messiah is coming. And so Jesus found John the Baptist and had him baptize him so that everybody would know he was the one. And the Father confirmed it. We see there. This is the one I promised. And we learn here that Jesus is God. Next, we see the temptation of Jesus. Look at verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, if you're not too familiar with the Gospels, you may think, okay, well, here we go. But if you've read Matthew and Luke at all, this is a little, uh, you know, clipped. Matthew spends 11 verses talking about Jesus getting tempted in the wilderness. Luke spends 13 verses talking about it. Mark spends two. And half of one of them is that there were wild animals out there too. I honestly am not sure why he included that, but apparently the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that it was rough out there. But here we see Jesus' perfection. We see his holiness. We see his sinfulness. We see he is God. We see he is the Savior that we need. Next, we see that Jesus begins his ministry. Look at verse 14. Now, after Jesus, John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'm here. It's time. This is the message. This is the good news. Now, I think it's important for us just to pause here for a second and think about what the good news is. What is the message of the gospel? Sinclair Ferguson, who was a pastor and teacher a few decades ago, said it this way. He said, contemplation is not the way of salvation. Atonement is. What does that mean? It means simply this. The summons of the gospel is not to meditate it's to repent. The summons of Jesus Christ is not to consider, to ponder, to think. It is to admit our sin and repent. We're not called to spirituality we are called to humility and repentance of our sin. Look at the next scene in verse 16. Jesus calls his disciples. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, we don't know exactly for sure. There could be days, there could be weeks between these scenes. 
But Mark is just jumping from one to the next. He's just cruising through this. And Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John to be his disciples. Again, what are we learning here about Jesus? We are learning that he calls us to follow him. He doesn't call us to mere assent to the gospel. He calls us to himself, and he asks something of us. That's why when we're here together and we open God's word and we start reading it and we learn from it, whether it's Tim teaching or it's me teaching, we are calling you to something. We are asking something of you because that's what Christ does. Look at the next scene in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, man, you're reading through those verses awful fast. I'm trying to give you a sense of what Mark is doing here. He's just plowing through all of this territory. He's showing us these things he wants us to know. He's showing us the authority of Jesus Christ teaching the truth, and he's showing us that Jesus has power over Satan and demons. I want you to notice here that even the demons knew who he was. It's very clear to them. And Mark wants you to know that when Jesus was walking the earth and when he went into that synagogue and when he opened the scroll and he taught, there was a difference between when he taught and when the scribes opened it up and read from it. And he wants you to know that when he encountered these people who are possessed by demons, that even the demons understood that this was God. Jesus is God. And the word began to spread about him. Look at verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Is anyone else here noticing the word immediately a few times? Eleven times in chapter 1 of Mark, he uses the word immediately. Mark has a story to tell, and he wants to get to it. He wants you to see here in this section that Jesus has compassion for people and power to heal the sick. Look at verse 35. 
and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I want you to see here Jesus' intimate relationship with his Father. And I want you to see Jesus' focus on and priority in prayer to minister to the lost and the hurting. And I want you to see that he was focused on his mission of preaching the gospel to those who needed it. Jesus only walked the earth, only ministered to people directly for about three years. It's not very long. I mean, Tim is really old. He's been doing this for 30 years. Jesus was only here for three years. And Mark wants you to see he had things to do. He had places to go. He had people to care for because he had compassion on them. And he called them to repentance. In the middle of all of that whirlwind, that is Mark chapter 1. Jesus rose up a great while before day and he prayed. You know what he prayed? He said, Father, give me wisdom and give me strength and give me focus so that I can shut everything else out and share the gospel with people who need it. Because that's what matters. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is Mark's purpose. That you would see who Jesus is. And what has he shown us already in one chapter? In one chapter, that he is the Messiah, that he is sinless, that he calls us to repentance, that he calls us to follow him, that he has power over Satan, that he has power to heal disease, and that he is on a mission to save people from their sin. 
Now I know I'm testing the bounds of your memories, but is that not what we just spent four weeks seeing that the angel told Joseph and Mary and the shepherds that Jesus would do? That's just what he told them that he would do. The child has become a man and he is the chosen one. He is the Savior, the Redeemer of all mankind. But here's the thing. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what matters. The most important question of your life, and it will determine the course of the rest of your life. Was he just a guy looking for a following? Was he a liar? Is he a con artist? Is he a nut job? Is he just a really good rabbi? Or is he who he says he is? God, Savior, Messiah, Emmanuel. You have to decide. Who do you say Jesus is? If he is the one and you believe that and you trust him as your Savior and confess him as the Lord of your life, then it should change your entire life. That must become your worldview. You must ask yourself, am I going to live the old way, the way that I always did before? You're going to choose to seek meaning and fulfillment through work or through money or through achievement or relationships or the approval of others like everyone else? Or will you choose to live your life in service for Jesus? If he's God, if he's Savior, if he's Messiah, if he is Emmanuel then lay your life at his feet. Serve him. Jesus gives us a very good example here in Mark 1 of what it means to serve him. We go and do the things that God calls us to do and... Focusing our attention on that relationship, we make sure that with everything that we do, we are pointing people to him. Jesus didn't get distracted. That's what Mark wants you to see. He didn't get distracted by all kinds of other things. Is there or is there not? You can nod your head if you agree. Is there or is there not a lot of things in this life that can distract us? from what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Maybe even a lot of good things. But there is only one thing that is the best. And that is the mission of seeing lost people come to Jesus Christ. If he is your Savior, then that must be your life. 
If you can agree with some of the things that we sang about earlier this morning, then you have something to celebrate. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to celebrate communion together. And I ask you to join with us in that celebration. Clow is going to come and direct us in celebrating the Lord's table. Um, in a few moments, we'll take communion, and just as Mike said, um, we have to decide who Jesus Christ is. And I know that for many of us um, here in this place, we've decided that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And it's because of his sacrifice that we are declared righteous. And we can come in the presence of our Lord, in the presence of God, and uh, live a pleasing life, empowered by his Spirit. And so... We're told by the scriptures that when we get together, we are to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's why we take communion. And when we take communion, it's a piece of bread that symbolizes his broken body for our sin. And a cup of juice that symbolizes his blood that was shed to cleanse our, our sins. And that's what it is, bread and juice. But it's a tangible and visible way of proclaiming Christ's sacrifice. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to uh, partake in taking these elements. But if you're not a believer, um, feel free to let that pass, uh, plate pass in front of you. And maybe today is the day that you consider Jesus as your um, Savior. So I'd like to uh, read a passage from 1 Corinthians in which the Apostle Paul um, instructs, us, instructs the church on Communion. So it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he, was give, and he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For, whoever, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The band will lead us into a worship um, song, one or two. Um, but as the plate comes in front of you, feel free to take the bread and the cup and spend some time before the Lord in prayer. And when you're ready, um, just feel free to take it. And uh, but let's pray. Um, Father God, we thank you so much that we can be here in your presence this morning. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. And it's because of him that we could stand before you. Declare righteous. I pray that um, we'll never take that for granted. And that we continue to live our lives pleasing and glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 